Cross-Chain Examination is sponsored by Protocol Labs, creators of IPFS, LibP2P, and Filecoin. They are an open-source R&D lab building protocols, tools, and services to radically improve the planet. Today's episode is brought to you by Parcel. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate but found it to be too overpriced and inaccessible? Parcel changes that by giving you the power to access the global real estate market with just one dollar. Now you can own a digital square foot of the most desirable neighborhoods around the world from wherever you are. Head over to parcel.co to learn more. That's parcel, P-A-R-C-L dot C-O, parcel.co. Hello and welcome to episode two of Cross-Chain Examination. I'm your host, Catherine Wu. So today we have on a really special guest, Ash Eakin. Ash is one of the few OG crypto investors who got into crypto super early, and he's been leading investments in crypto since 2015. And he's been super instrumental in teaching me actually a lot of really valuable lessons when it comes to crypto and specifically when it comes to investing in crypto companies. Currently, he's a founder of Archetype, an early stage venture capital firm investing in crypto founders at their earliest stages. I also work with Ash at Archetype as a venture partner, and I thought it would be really fun to bring him on to chat about all things crypto today. So in today's discussion, we're going to talk about how we think about the industry, what we're excited about in crypto, and touch on a little bit of our day-to-day at Archetype. Welcome to episode two of Cross-Chain Examination. Today, we have on our very own Ash Egan, the founder and GP of Archetype. Ash, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. (laughs) Um, We are very honored to have you. So today's topic, I was thinking uh, just to have like a general discussion about crypto, talk about the trends, talk about lessons from the past, just because you've been in this space for so long. So, you know, just for our listeners and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Ash has been investing in crypto since 2015, right? So that makes it seven years. Um, so I think it would be nice to start if we just went down like a nice walk down memory lane. And so I kind of wanted to touch on, um, maybe rewinding back, what are some of the big moments in the past few years that you consider industry defining moments um, or just big events in general? It could be good, like aha, it could also just be not so great. A lot has happened over the last seven years. For me, the, the, the moment I jumped into the space was reading the Ethereum white paper in 2015 and reading about smart contracts and sort of the potential use cases. It's honestly incredible how far we've come from, you know, the white paper that Vitalik wrote, you know, years and years ago. And now you have just, you know, su- such a proliferation of applications, infrastructure, you know, developers, uh, new talent entering the space. I think though, if we really drill down to, you know, what are some of the watershed moments within, within crypto, uh, over the last few years, I think it's the standardization we've seen, especially around, uh, ERC 20 around 721, you know, that ERC 20 uh, originally materialized as ICOs. Was it, and you know, it took two or so years, three years after that for DeFi to really reach, you know, come to fruition. And so it was similar with 721s, you know, 2017, 2018, but it really wasn't until 2020 or so that we saw OpenSea, you know, gain massive uh, adoption and all these things. And so I think what's been incredible is just the experimentation, and we're still experimenting for 
you know, crypto founders, uh, you know, use cases and all these things, but it's not just the Bitcoin market anymore, you know, crypto and web three, right. It's, uh, the belief here is that crypto web three permeates every industry, smart contracts underpin all commerce. Uh, and then you're also going to have the creation of entirely new markets. You know, it's not just the Ubers built on a blockchain or, uh, you know, Facebook 2.0 is built on a blockchain. You know, I think we're going to see not only, uh, you know, some of these traditional and incumbents, uh, build on decentralized infrastructure, but also the creation of entirely new markets. And, you know, I think just, so, so to wind, like, let's pause. So the first thing I think, and I know you, right. And so I know for you, the Ethereum white paper was like a big aha moment for you. And so let's define that as the Ethereum white paper. And then the ERC 721s for our listeners who might not know is essentially the token standard that NFTs are based on. That's and correct. And I know, yeah. And I like that you said that, cause I hear you say it all the time, like, um, smart contracts underpin the future of digital commerce. Um, so. Okay, so maybe let's, before you go on too far, and I want to hear you, but I just want to like pause, like let's dig into that phrase just because you say it so much. Like what's your thesis? What was the aha thing? What was the thing that clicked that made you really, you know, believe in it so long ago when, you know, so like there's not that, there were not that many things going on in crypto at the time. Yeah, I, I think it was as particular as uh, Vitalik talking about crowdfunding and the different types of applications that could get built on Ethereum. At the time, I was I thought Indiegogo, Kickstarter were fascinating, you know, just as consumer products, and with a twenty four seven open uh, type of infrastructure, you know, not only could you build Kickstarter and Indiegogo on decentralized infrastructure and sort of leveraging smart contracts and liquidity and you know twenty four seven permissionless open nature of them. Uh, but you could also, you know, build tons of other things. And I, I think with smart contracts, the most exciting part is these are just really APIs, but they're open to anyone. Anyone with an internet connection can tap into this liquidity, tap into these assets, the IP. And so, you know, you don't have to rely on the gatekeepers and, you know, you hit a certain API limit, you, you could get shut off or you build a killer application, you could get shut off. So I think just... The permissionless innovation possibility that smart contracts enable is what got me so excited about years and years ago. What were the first couple of investments that you made in the crypto industry and, and why? My first investment as a uh, venture capitalist in the ecosystem was uh, the seed round of chain analysis in 2015. And my thesis was as simple as if crypto and Bitcoin, and uh, it wasn't called Web3 at the time, but, you know, if this new, new technology is going to be uh, come to fruition and, and get to scale, you know, you need to have some kind of uh, access portal or some kind of route for the incumbents, you know, regulators, governments, uh, you know, TradFi to basically understand what's happening on these blockchains and it is all open, right? All of these transactions are, anyone can view them, right? But, you know, just chain analysis, having the purview to package up that data and selling it to, you know, the appropriate uh, constituents to, you know, cross the chasm and not be seen as, you know, this shadowy uh, super coder kind of market. So I think, you know, that was, that was sort of the first of, of, of many uh, my second investment was in BlockFi, their seed round while I was at Consensus. And so 
I think that was just seeing, you know, at consensus, you had a massive amount of wealth creation that happened over a quite a short time period. You know, I joined consensus as maybe employee 200 or so. Uh, ETH at the time was 80 bucks. Over the course of six months, ETH uh, surpassed $1,000 and the company grew to over a thousand employees. And so just seeing the wealth creation around me and, you know, not having ways to get access to cash beyond selling your ether or selling your other crypto holdings. It just seemed like a massive pain point. Uh, so just seeing that out of colleagues around me, it was like something like BlockFi needs to exist. Um, you know, we can fast forward to some of the protocols that I invested during my time at Accomplice, like near, uh, you know, focusing on a more scalable blockchain, things like balancer, uh, you know, basically democratizing liquidity provision and, you know, almost building a decentralized version of NASDAQ. So it's been quite a journey. And, you know, the stuff we're doing today is is wildly different than when I just started dipping my toes in in 2015. I mean, first of all, I agree. I think the industry has grown so big. Um, like, you know, you used to just be a crypto investor and that was all there is. And now there's so many subcategories like DAOs. And, you know, the last episode I had the Crypto Coven team on, we talked about NFTs, we talked about building a community around NFTs. And so I think crypto just gotten so much bigger now and the app layer has just grown too. Like there's just so many things that can get built on um, whatever protocol or, you know, whatever ecosystem you want to build on, it's possible. Um, what about like, you know, we talk all the time and especially looking back, it's like rose tinted glasses, like everything is great, everything's innovative, but were there any pinpoints in time in the last seven years where maybe something happened where it kind of made you, you know, take a step back, like, whoa, we're still so far away from, you know, going mainstream or, you know, any other instances? Yeah, I think there's been a, a significant amount of bad behavior. Uh, and this comes along with any new technology, right? So in the ICO era, you had a number of teams that were going out and they had no plan to build something uh, for the long term. It was sort of just entirely a cash grab. I think we've seen that in the NFT ecosystem, you know, these, these drops, et cetera, you know, the rugs, we saw it in DeFi. And so whenever you have a change in uh, behavior usage or a change in technology, you know, you're, the hope is you have all credible players, but I think the reality is you're going to have some bad behavior and folks who want to take advantage of new behavior and uh, the less educated users. And so, um, that I do believe is the, you know, sort of tiny minority of investors, builders, just community, community participants. Uh, but it's, I think it would, I would be lying if I said, you know, that didn't exist in, in some capacity over the last few years. Yeah. It's actually extra unfortunate. I feel like, you know, there's such a small selective, uh, minority of bad behavior that unfortunately gets sensationalized in the media. And so, you know, when I talk to like my friends around me, I think people are a little bit wary. They're a little bit scared. Obviously in the last two years, you know, with the explosion of NFTs, I think people, it's definitely piqued people's interest. I think NFTs are a lot easier to understand than if I'm explaining, you know, some layer one or some protocol, I think that's just like people's eyes glaze over. So certainly it's brought mainstream attention, but I think, you know, it's also brought a lot of retail um, investors and just your normal everyday, you know, internet users who um, I think still lack the right tools and information to really just, you know, full on do your own research. So I definitely think that's like a, you know, gap that 
we should all address and um, solve. Yeah, totally. And and I do think users uh, have gotten smarter about you know they they've they've gotten comfortable around you know having a non custodial wallet. You know the seed recovery like you never expose that. So you have these hard learnings, and uh, you're going to have we've we've seen some amount of bad actors there, but you know, the hope is through these uh, mishaps, you have a more educated user base. And we are certainly seeing that, you know, the, just look at MetaMask downloads, right? Look at on-chain activity, look at DEXs versus sexes. Uh, you know, it's, it's honestly remarkable, just the education and, you know, sort of um, acceleration in uh, usage with, from a, you know, decentralized underpinned by smart contract uh, lens. So look, it's gonna be ongoing, but the hope is, um, you know, users will continue to get more educated and, you know, the less credible money grab kind of folks are, uh, you know, it's just much more difficult to, to, you know, rug the average user or so. I was thinking back to, you know, I got my first email address when I was 12. Um, and back then, um, the very like you know there was a really popular technique in in really just like scamming online which is like the the whole email about either emailing you about you winning the lottery or it's like the very famous like you know i'm the prince of nigeria and like you actually you know uh send you this money and i think these days like people don't really fall for it anymore because it's become you know just like so known among just like it's like a joke at this point right or or these like chain mails i used to send around so my hope is you know as crypto grows up and as good behavior proliferates, people learn, you know, what are kind of really clear scams and what are really clear red flags to watch out for. And so that's my personal hope for it. Yeah. Well, and I do think Web3 and crypto have crossed the chasm into the mainstream over the last 12 to 18 months. And so, you know, like the incumbents are now look at crypto as a large enough market, you know, enough users where it's sort of like, okay, uh, we have to figure out what our strategy is here. I remember years ago with some of these, um, with, with some of the telephone providers, you know, the Verizons or the, the hacks were porting phone numbers. And it seems like the, the providers have gotten smarter uh, or just simply have acknowledged that this could happen in, in crypto. And so, you know, knock on wood, but rarely hear about those kinds of Hacks or instances. Um, this might be a good time to just, you know, on the topic of doing your own research, being vigilant, um, having, you know, given your track record, you've been an investor at both kind of like a, you know, what I would call a web two generalist uh, venture capital fund. And now, you know, you're obviously running your own crypto focused fund. What would you say, you know, are some of the key differences between um, investing into the crypto industry versus, you know, traditional VC? Well, I think um, the crypto founders, uh, you know, the ask is so much more specific and so niche compared to your generalist VC, right? Of course, you need to still help out on recruiting strategy, you know, being a sounding board, being support, obviously uh, being a financing partner to these, to these teams and these founders. But it also goes way beyond that, you know, building out a community, uh, figuring out, you know, are you going to launch a token? How are you going to do that? Uh, even even the talent, right? It looks so different from your typical Sil Silicon Valley talent, right? So you could be a 17-year-old kid 
and you could be one of the best smart contract developers, literally devs. Uh, so I think sort of like the lens has evolved a ton and the ask of the crypto founder, both for supporting infrastructure, pure equity companies and uh, the teams that are trying to launch protocols, it just become nuanced to the point where if you're not sort of consuming Web3 crypto 24-7, it's just really difficult, I think, to deliver on those asks. And so, you know, we're constantly evolving and thinking through how can we better, better service the founders that we back? You know, how can we get them to where they want to be faster? How can we, you know, sort of help them guide uh, them to particular markets or a different strategy or whatever it may be, or even co-building with them? And so, you know, I think it's part, partially a maturing of crypto as an asset class. Um, but, you know, I think the best analogy is just how biotech uh, venture investing just ended up splitting off back in, back in the 90s from your, you know, tech investing. How do you actually, you know, at such an early stage, so, you know, where Archetype invests in is sometimes just an idea, right? It's really just before anything, really an inception capital, as you call it. How do you, per, how do you personally like gain conviction in just like an idea, you know, because that seems so crazy. Like there's no cash flow. There's, there's nothing. Like how do you as an investor, you know, you hear these pictures, you, you think about the idea, like how do you gain like so much conviction to be like here, like here is some capital, go build your company. So I think what we love is, and you know this well, fellow colleague, um, I think <laughs> what we really love is founders who have a unique vision of the future and they're not building just because someone else is. It's not reactive, but they've organically come across a problem set or a opportunity and they have their own vision of the future. Uh, you know, I do think in every industry, you're just going to have some aspect of um, teams, you know, trying to outcompete other teams and you have an existing market and it's really an execution bet. Um, you know, I think what we get excited about are the founders who can create entirely new markets, who can create new user behavior. And so, you know, I think these are really tricky to get right, but, you know, I think that's what we get really excited about is founders who have the ability to create entirely new markets or just change the status quo. And so, you know, they're not going to have everything figured out at the early stages. You know, it's, it's, there's sometimes that we'll invest in just people and it's pre idea and we'll go through, you know, the list of, let's say three to 30 different ideas or concepts or market opportunities that we see. But ultimately it's about, you know, the founders, uh, self-actualizing and, and, you know, getting excited about a particular opportunity. And so, you know, it's going to be different depending on what they're doing, but I think it's just, um, you know, seeing that unique vision and then doing everything we possibly can to get them from zero to one. Yeah. I mean, both starting a company and also, you know, investing in a company, both requires a little bit of um, actually a little, a large leap of faith, right? Um, on the investor side is that you share the vision, you believe in the team, I mean, you know, and, and can see a whole, you know, 10 year plan based off just an idea. And for the founders themselves, obviously that's just like the biggest change you can, you can take to your career. But, um, yeah, I think another thing that I think is really important is just 
being a power user of all the products, right? And I think you know this too. Um, sometimes if you're a power user, you understand the pain points deeply, right? Whether you're a potential user or you learn these lessons just through navigating the blockchain. So like, for example, um, uh, you and I, or actually you mostly, you're a big power user of, of Etherscan, right? Like anything that happens, you want to, you know, just check it out, but it's still impossible. It's, 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 you know, Etherscan is amazing. Honestly, like I think the team has done, um, such a great job with just such a small team over the years. Um, but you know, Etherscan was also built for a different time, right? It was built for, for the, you know, pre mainstream, uh, crypto world. And so I think some of the tooling on there can be a little bit difficult to understand for your, you know, average users and even for people who've been in the space for a while. And so, you know, you wouldn't know that unless you were using it all the time. And so I think as an investor, it certainly helps to be the power, a power user. And I think that's a little bit under discussed, like how much you actually need to like use everything and, you know, sometimes make mistakes to really learn. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and we live this on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Being power users uh, across everything, right? Being part of DAOs, playing in DeFi, you know, sort of playing around with the new 721 instances, playing around with NFTs, being a collector, uh, talking to these different creators, you know, jumping on Zoom calls. Hey, what are you playing around with? And so I think if you look across the portfolio, the vast majority of our investments are things that we are users of. And it's and it predates Archetype as well. I think, you know, at Accomplice, uh, we were investor, you know, sort of led the investment in Near and Flow and Mina. And uh, that those investments actually led to the investment in Bison Trails and Accomplice was the first customer at Bison Trails. You know, we didn't want to set up this staking infrastructure ourselves in house. And so, and we were, I was actually in the process of setting that up um, at the time I met the Bison Trails team. And so I think it's super, super similar. And we take a very similar kind of framework at, at Archetype. It's like, we want to be power users of the things that we're investing in. It's not always going to be the case, but I do think that gives us, you know, an insane amount of insight into what, what's next, uh, you know, sort of what the integration and collaboration partners might be. And, uh, and, and it also helps us closer, you know, work more closely with these founders. Yeah. And it probably makes you feel more like a peer too, right? Like you can both complain about the same pain points. And I think, you know, people like that. Um, sometimes I get a pitch and they're solving like a, some, a headache that I've had for years. And I just like, I get so excited. Um, and I think that shows, so, you know, um, definitely, you know, if, and I think it's just good learning in general. Like if people want to learn more about crypto, just start using the products, right? Especially if uh, they're kind of lower barrier to entry types, um, things that don't cost you like, you know, thousands of dollars to just use. I certainly think that, you know, download MetaMask is an easy like extension on your browser, right? Like definitely that is part of the journey. And, you know, whether it's NFTs or it's DeFi, like a lot of it is you just have to use it to learn it a little bit. Um, so maybe yeah. switching topics a little bit. Uh, moving towards the the upcoming stuff, so upcoming trends and narratives. So currently, right now, what piques your interest uh, in crypto? And then I'm going to follow up with what frustrates you. But let's start yeah. with what piques your interest well, first. Yeah, I, so I think we are dawn of the application era for crypto, and I and I think that's a big reason why Web three as a name resonated over the past 12, 18 months. Uh, who kicked that, who sort of kicked that off? You, you know, you could point to OpenSea and sort of the NFT activities. You could point to DeFi. It's hard to say exactly when the application era started, but 
my belief is that over the next five years, we will have interfaces and applications that can get to tens, if not hundreds of millions of active users. And so I think the big open question is, will the uh, complexities or, you know, the, the uh, existing user experience of, you know, sending a transaction or, or interacting with Ethereum, these applications, will that be abstracted or will we see an increase in comfort around how to interact with these applications and you know, paying gas fees, ensuring that your seed recovery is, you know, tucked away and not exposed to the internet. Um, you know, I think there's a bunch of things, but, and, and, and so then the sort of the next framing is, okay, what are those applications going to be? And so I think, um, we're excited about, as you know, marketplaces in web two, it's, you know, you bootstrap the demand side by Facebook ad dollars, you get to scale and then you ratchet up rake, uh, and the company and a small group of investors accrue all of the value there. You know, you leave the demand side and the supply side sort of at the wayside for purely profit-based reasons um, for that for the cap table. And so, in a token-denominated world, you know, you can pull the levers and actually reward your your most valuable users and your uh, future most valuable users. Um, it's just more equitable. So I think marketplaces are just a segment that we're really excited about. Uh, I think music NFTs, just having different vehicles of distributing value, you know, allowing creators to access their collectors, their fans, uh, you know, just sort of these new mediums. We're, we're really excited about Web3 social, right? Is that a year away? Is that three years away? Is it five years away? We'll see. You know, I think that's that's a category that we're also very excited about. And there's going to be a bunch of others that could be right around the corner that haven't just haven't popped up yet. So uh, we continue to be very excited about experimentation and just pushing the limits on what you can build with uh, sort of smart contracts under the hood today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I get questions all the time um, from people who are not as deep in crypto, just being like, you know, as soon as you say the word token, you lose me, like, why is that important? Um, and I always like to use the same example, which is like, um, any company that eventually, you know, goes IPO, right, goes public, um, and is worth like so much money, they all started from, you know, their first 100 customers. Um, and as a customer, you know, you decide to use a product, sometimes for whatever reason, but your dollars are what makes up the company's revenue and, and profit, right? And essentially is what makes them um, so successful. And so theoretically, is there a way in which you can reward um, users who spent so much time and money and attention on your platform um, when you go public? Like there's not a way to do that currently, but with tokens, you can. So I think that's actually like super powerful. Like, you know, you know, my sister, she loves her Robin Hood and like, you know, I'm always like, Hey, like you use so you spend so much time on your Robin Hood. You have so much money on it. When it went pop, like when Robin Hood like went public, um, it's like kind of off of like your usage, right? Like a tiny bit. Like, wouldn't it make sense for you to like get a little bit of stock? And she was like, oh my God, yeah. Like, why don't I? Um, and I was like, well, that's why tokens matter. So I always like to use that example. Um, and so you can imagine like how much you can do with tokens too. Um, and so, you know, whether it's like fundraising, bootstrapping, but also just like having your users really like, you know, corral around you. I think that's like, that's really pretty magical. Um, and I kind of wish like that was always the way things were working. I think the other 
uh, incredible piece about tokens, Web3, uh, you know, sort of this next chapter. And what we've already seen is if there are shifts or a change in strategy where it's not beneficial to the user or it's extractive or off market, everything's open source, right? You can fork these protocols, you can build, uh, you know, you can sort of build your own. And so, you know, that's something that you can't do with the web two incumbents. Uh, everything is, is closed garden. And so if these networks and applications are not building for the best interests of the current user and the future user, uh, there is the risk of, you know, you can just fork it and build a different version. And so I think that's another really powerful mechanism that is just not inherent in Web2 and, and what we've seen historically. Yeah, it's very much, you know, power to the hands of the users type. Um, and I think all the companies building in the crypto industry understand that at any given time, someone could just copy paste their open source code and just launch a competitor. And so you hear the word, and I know you were saying this to me this week, you're like, oh, if I hear like community one more time, I'm gonna go crazy. And it's true, like the your users and, you know, the people who are behind the screens or whatever, like those are your, you know, your users are your, are your lifeline, you know, so... Um, that's why whether it's NFTs or it's DeFi or it's anything else, it's so important to really just put power into the hands of the users, make them feel like they are part of it. And that's why also so many crypto companies um, have such a baked in like detailed plan of, you know, eventually today we're only like five people, but we want our users to have a say in the future of the company and decisions we make. And I, again, like, I think that's a, that's a net good. That's a net positive. Um, but I don't want to just like, use this time to sing praises. Let's talk about the things that frustrate us in crypto. Where do we start? Uh, look, I, I think it was sort of mentioned earlier, but when you have these changes of behavior, change, sort of um, new technologies, new ways of, of building enterprise value, uh, you're going to have bad behavior. You're also going to have tourists that come in. And so I think we love to see experimentation what we what is frustrating though is just you know sort of the the tourist folks uh, on the investor side who are investing because it's the hot thing and just completely retreat you know sort of it's it's you know they fill up the inbox it's like hey what should we be investing it's like guys figure out your own thesis and mm -hmm. take a long term commitment if you're serious about this you know pew, don't pew. just <laughs> yeah and so you know the hope is that. Uh, Folks that have have increased their interest in the space are here for the long term. It's we are obviously so bought into this industry, you know, continuing to grow and, and et cetera. Uh, but I think the just the tourist nature and copycatting things, right? Like we want to see the net new. We want to see unique visions, and um, you know, I, the hope is it. This is this is not the case. They're not actually tourists. They're here for the long term, but. No, I think that's certainly worth noting. I think you use the word tourist to kind of mean like cash grabby behavior, but I feel like that's like a little bit more human nature than it is like crypto specific problems. But, but I hear you. I hear you. Um, I think maybe one of my frustrations with crypto, and I will say it has gotten a lot better, but, um, you know, I think there's so much, um, there's so many things that um, can be done to make crypto like easier and friendlier um and i again i think we've done 
we've come a long way. Um, but there are still so many things that are like so many products and so many companies in crypto that are predicated on the fact that their users are super comfortable with crypto um, and onboarding to crypto and even knowing how to like interact with the smart with smart contracts. Um, and I think that's probably uh, a limited market. Like you'll 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 have limited users off that premise. So I get really excited when I see you know really smart innovative ways are of making crypto easier more digestible you know and it could be like user experience it could just be like you know i know what i'm clicking um and the information is really easy to understand it has gotten better you know the the today you have real products like you know you have these non-custodial wallets and now you can do things with your ETH. before you know years ago it was just do you hold on to your ETH or do you invest into an ico and so and there wasn't any product built around that, but you know, today you have uh, DeFi, the emerging Web three social stuff, NFT marketplaces, DAOs. Like, uh, it's and it will continue to expand. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's also a matter of time, right? Like, I at this point, you know, um, the first time I got an Apple laptop, did not read the instructions. Just open it and whatever. That yes. was it, right? And I think, you know, we'll probably get there one day, but not today. I think that's right. And and just you look at the talent coming in to the space today, and it's just, you know, now it's so multifaceted. You have repeat founders, you have, you know, folks from all over the world. Uh, years ago, it was almost self-selective. You know, you're, you're highly technical, you know solidity. Uh, today, you know, you can be a product manager at a tech company and, and play around with crypto nights and weekends. And you can be a very effective founder or uh, operator in the space. And so, you know, I, I do think it's it's already improved drastically and it's going to continue to be that way as, as crypto web three just sucks talent out of these incumbent boring industries. Yeah, no, I'm fully behind that. Like total call for any talent, you know, anyone who wants to like make using crypto as easy as using your iPhone, but not make it as close as Apple. I think that would be great. This is the talent board shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe one just to end the, the episode on, which is, you know, crypto is so known for its volatility. Um, what are some of the things either you tell yourself or remind yourself or whatever it is that like just gets you through, you know, when the markets are down, you know, 20% one day um, and keeps going down. Like, you know, you've seen this in the past seven years. How would you caution uh, people who are newer to crypto? I think you go crazy if you're constantly checking prices, both crypto, you know, any asset, like you will just go insane. And so like, I think you have to be, be very purposeful on not checking prices on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, so lesson. I think you like, should, you should really, you know, should take I your know, own advice. I say, I'm like, okay, I need to stop checking prices. Um, yeah. But, but look, like, I think what's more important is you just don't want to let markets impact your day-to-day -day and your ability to execute and your ability to be happy. And, and so I just think it's so important to take a long-term perspective, you know, zoom out, we fast forward five, 10 years, uh, the crypto market today versus what it will be is, is peanuts. And so, you know, I think you just have to take a long-term perspective. Sure. Things will be volatile, but it's out of your control. And so, uh, you know, it's nice when 
things go up, but at the same time, you know, I, th I think just having a long-term view and not letting the swings of a, of a day or a week impact your ability to, to be a, uh, you know, a, a happy person and someone who can execute at a high level. So TLDR, go offline, take a walk, take a bath. Um, don't put everything into one basket. Definitely obviously. take a bath. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, we actually talked about this last episode too. Maybe every episode I'll just like do a plug for everyone to take a bath um, and listen to the conversation. We're advocates. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you, Ash, so much for coming on the show. We'll definitely have you back. And yeah, we'll see you, I don't know, soon. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for tuning into episode two of Cross Chain Examination. If you haven't already, definitely go check out our first episode with Crypto Coven. Please like and subscribe wherever you're getting this podcast. So whether it's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the like, leave me thoughts, questions, suggestions, anything. Thank you again and see you next week.